was all set to marry the boss's daughter. Daddy! There's my little girl! Christmas guy, I see! Until he found out... Just finalized the deal for 70% of Fillmore. He had to close some unfinished business in his hometown. Oh, I can't wait to meet her. Look around, this place needs us. She's lovely. Why don't you just admit that you're afraid to change? I'll see you, I'll see you later there, city guy. I hope you're ready for tonight, okay, country great. person. Now, you can't call yourself a ski town if you don't have snow. I mean, what has Mother Nature done for us lately? Earthquakes, hurricanes, not to mention global warming. And it's real, folks. Things are heating up. Rick was showing me some pictures of the town, and I said, even though it looks like a real pit. A pit? Hey, you were a lucky man. You missed that? It's just that, I don't know, Lisa is one of the most pushy women I've ever met. Hi. Ow! Dad, it's me! Honey, it could be a big night. I don't understand. It's just... Stupid! Everyone's stupid here! Why do you love me? We make a good team. We're a power couple. That's not love, Reagan. Whatever happened to us? We always talked about coming back here after we graduated. All of our this Christmas, he's about to find out... What made you come back? Home is where the heart is. I love the way that you feel about this town. Well, I love most of all the way that you make me feel. Nicole Eggert, David O'Donnell. And Tom Arnold. This is the proposal I should have done a long time ago. A Christmas proposal. Better than Welcome back to yet another Stocking Stuffer. And in this very special edition, we are going back to the early days of Cozy Cardigan Christmases with a movie from 2008, which in this day and age is the equivalent of, like, silent film, black and white. (laughs) Time moves very differently in this world, and I I can't go it alone. It is a scary, scary place to go. So with me... I have an expert on all things cinema, but in particular, I mean, these kinds of movies. This is the bread and butter of the one and only Mike White of the Projection Booth. Welcome, Mike. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm glad that you rec- recognize my expertise on this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, who, you are Father Christmas, right? <laughs> like, deep down, you are – I'm waiting for you at some point in this episode. You're going to, like, take your hand over your head and pull back your skin and reveal a Santa hat. That's what I'm really oh, rooting for. A hundred percent, yeah. Excellent. So, Mike, uh, you've been doing Projection Booth for many years. You have written books on cinema, and I say cinema and not movies because I think there is a difference, and the movie today is kind of a good example of that. Uh, What is your experience with this very particular subgenre of Christmas movie? Uh, Of – so – Christmas movies as a subgenre, or this as a subgenre so, of the Christmas right. movie. Right. I mean, a sub-genre. Christmas movie could be The yeah. Grinch. It could be Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Three. Uh, <laughs> specifically, the cozy cardigan made for TV, uh, usually a romance. Um, you know the, what? What this list that we're going to talk about today fits into? How many of these have you seen? Oh, I'm thinking ones, maybe twos. <laughs> Well, and the best one, obviously, because today's <laughs> not movie, not very often. 
Okay. Now, but, well, I don't want to spoil anything, because by the end of this episode, we'll, we'll see whether you recommend it and whether this is going to urge you on to see more of these kinds of movies. Because I can tell you, if you liked this movie, um, the team behind it, director Michael Pfeiffer, uh, writers Peter Sullivan and Jonathan Schneck, uh, they have a couple more choices for you to go through, if you're ever curious. I believe Peter Sullivan has over 110 screenwriting credits. I think 75 of them are Witcher Christmas movies. Uh, in 2000, 2015, he had over 11 sc- screenplays that are movies. Now, I mean, the word prolific gets thrown around a lot, but it is perfectly apt in this case. Do you not Do you not agree? It is wild. I've been looking at the director's filmography and just seeing how it goes from Christmas films to, honest to God, BTK, Boston Strangler. He's got a new one on Gacy coming out. Yep. And then the dog who saved the holidays. You know, he, it's like, I, oh, that that whole that's a whole subgenre in itself. <laughs> like I don't even loop that into Cozy Cardigan Christmas because it's usually very specifically talking dogs. Um, I'm trying to think. The voices have been Jay Moore, uh, Nikki Cox, Dean Kane. Like that is scraping bottom of barrel, and yet um, it's. It keeps this guy clearly very, very gainfully employed. Michael Pfeiffer, he's one of my favorites because exactly that. His filmography is one of those three things. Dog Who Saved, really brutal lifetime uh, horror movie of some kind, or Happy Christmas. Yeah. The best part about this, though, is that a lot of his movies, and he's been doing it for so long, and like even a lot of the actors that appear in those movies, it's he's using the same people. Um, his wife shows up in every one of his movies. She was like the townsperson in this one. Uh, if you take, not so much this one, but more recent ones, if you take them, if you take the Christmas movies and take the Christmas music out of it, or if you take his Lifetime movies and put Christmas music in them, they're basically the same thing. Like, he can swap it. Like, 12 Pups of Christmas was one that we covered a couple years ago. And it really, like, you're just waiting for murder to happen in that movie. Because the only thing holding it back is that it's green and white, green and red font the entire time. Like, wow. so he knows that line. He dances on that line. He, I, he what, I would love to talk to him one day, but I'd be terrified. Because I, it, he, he knows everything, I think, when it comes to this. So, special guy... Uh, one of his early films, 2008. Now, y- you, I'm sure you've like caught an image of, of a Christmas movie on Hallmark in more recent years. Oh, yes. Did this look like what you expected them to look like, or, or did it feel a little different? Well, I mean, I like that they make a joke about how they're missing snow, <laughs> because... There's no snow in this movie, so it really didn't town. feel like I was waiting, you know, like we, we talked a few years ago about one of the Dolly mm-hmm. Christmas movies. Very, very Christmassy, yes. very the town square and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But yeah, this one, no snow whatsoever. I mean, this feels very, very like Doc Hollywood to me. It, yes. it feels like Christmas is kind of just to the side a little bit. Yeah, there's it's a... more the proposal than the Christmas when it comes to mm. Christmas proposal. And we should also be clear. I mean, everybody heard the trailer, but be clear that this is a Christmas proposal from 2008. It's streaming on Tubi, not to be confused with the two movies that came out in 2021, one of which was also <laughs> called A Christmas Proposal, one of which was just called Christmas Proposal without the article. So we're talking very specifically about this one from 2008, 
where I, I th- and I think that's part of it is the formula is pretty much all there with some some very very big twist or very big things that they haven't hadn't quite figured out. But I think the problem wasn't that they didn't know they were making a Christmas movie. It was that it was done at a time when this infrastructure of standing sets that were just going to get reused for the millionth and one Christmas movie of that year, they weren't built yet. Those didn't come around for a few years. Uh, So 2008, these, these movies were happening. This, all of the credits seem to say it was a stars movie. It, I mean, it doesn't feel like it feels like it was made for a Hallmark or Lifetime, but and they both of those networks were doing these kinds of movies at that time. Um, but this, I guess, was a different network, I guess, made without some of the resources of fake snow and enough red and green sweaters to go around for everybody. I think at times people were just literally rotating sweaters to make sure somebody was wearing red and green in every scene. But it is, you know, it's a Christmas movie. We, we need Christmas in it. Uh, oh, yeah. I guess let's go into uh, the, the rough plot of the movie. Would you like to kind of recap what you understood the story of A Christmas Proposal to be? Well, first we should say that uh, the name of the movie is, uh, it has a double meaning. I don't know if, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, Emily. Hmm. I don't know the, that I'm smart enough to have. That's why well, I bring in the big guns. There's the marriage proposal that Mm. is going to go on, but then it's also a business proposal as well. Mm, Yes. Yeah. You know, business is a scary, scary thing, Um, and it is really the big villain of of these movies, and maybe I was just too afraid to confront that. (laughs) So the first proposal, we, we almost have three, right? Because there is a pending proposal... Uh, Mm -hmm. where our lead... So here's the first thing, is that our lead character is a man, not a woman. And again, I think they just didn't quite realize who they were making these movies for or who we would easily sympathize with. But uh, the character is Rick. The actor is David O'Donnell, who, again, I don't know if you checked out his filmography. He's worked with Michael Pfeiffer a few times. He's worked in movies called Christmas a few times. And he plays Rick. Uh, Rick is the... A big city lawyer who comes back to his hometown, uh, which the hometown was named Fillmore. Fillmore. Uh, He comes back to his hometown in order to buy it, basically, uh, to help his father-in-law to be, if he ever gets that proposal down, uh, he's going to buy this town, build ski lodges, take over everything. All the seven townspeople are very upset about this, including his mother, including his ex-girlfriend, played by Nicole Eggert, who was the, I guess, big get for this movie between her and Tom Arnold. Uh, while he's there, he's stuck in town with his terrible girlfriend who he's going to uh. propose to. Um, but of course, you know, something happens along along the way. D- did you feel the spirit of, of Christmas overtaking him? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Uh, A little bit of bowling, a little bit of decorating, a little bit of hay rides and jingle bells by polka. And before you know it, he realizes the error of his ways and instead proposes to his high school girlfriend. Not with the $15,000 ring, though. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, he's going to need that since he now is pretty much jobless jobless in a town that is still alive only because of a tree i think is is how (laughs) i kind of interpreted the way history works in this movie Mm -hmm. um oh but then at the very end of the movie there's a one quick moment where a townsperson wins the lottery yeah (laughs) 
I guess he because they had that. I don't know if it was ADR or if they actually had them actually say the line about this one guy who buys lottery tickets all the time. So throwaway. So throwaway. Now, but yeah. enough that I remembered it at the end. This is this is a Tubi movie where it's on Tubi now, and the problem with Tubi, you know, the one reason to not watch something on Tubi is that there's commercials, and it's fine. You know, you deal with it. The problem though is this is a 90 minute movie that already is stretching out its time with montage after montage. So by the time you get to the end of the movie, it feels like you've been watching this for seven hours. Oh yeah. So I completely, I didn't know who that guy was. I didn't think to look out for him. So I'm just in my mind, that guy won the lottery and like paid the town or bought the town. And now everybody, all the kids have computers. Cause apparently that was also a concern that the kids in school don't have computers. There's no medicine in town, but now he can buy snow. I think is where we're at. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, did David O'Donnell, did he give you a Patrick Dempsey yes. vibe? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sort of um, definitely your your discount Patrick Dempsey. Oh, yeah. 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 Like and Dylan McDermott. Yeah. Oh, I feel like that's an insult to Dylan McDermott. I know. It you was. Know? Yeah. yeah. Th- and this guy shows up in a lot of... What's funny, too, is if you look at his IMDb profile picture... It's very, like, artsy, like, hair in his face. It looks like, you know, the headshot you bring to be in, like, some kind of indie movie. Mm -hmm. But every single thing I've ever seen him in has been like this. And he, every, even if you look at his filmography, the character names he's had, I always feel like you can tell a lot about a type of actor by what they're cast as, right? Like, how, like, really Italian actors, sometimes their entire IMDb credit list everything sounds like a pasta yes and in the case of this guy it's like andy david jason roger white guy generic white guy white guy number two <laughs> like every one of those names are like yeah that's that's about right for this guy <laughs> and it, it leads us right into you know the big 10 that we're looking at of, as far as what we need to find in these movies and the first mm-hmm. thing is our lead in need of a lesson now normally it's a female but again 2008 Michael Pfeiffer didn't put it together that women want to, you know, go on the journey with the female, not with the man. But still, uh, do you think this guy needs to learn a lesson? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's with the wrong gal. Mm-hmm. Regan, a.k.a. Reagan, is just not good for him. And I don't know why people had such problems saying Reagan. It's I mean, not that exotic a name. Like, yeah. We, we had a president name that for a long time. It seems yeah. like. Like I think it, one of King Lear's daughters was named that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I get I get what they're trying to do with that. Um, but yes, it's, if you're going to do that, then have it be like Sequoia. Or, or again, 2008. Right. Maybe, maybe Reagan sounded very exotic in 2008. Our, our, a lot has happened since then. We, we can't really put ourselves in that mindset so clearly. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the beginning of the uh, Obama era. You know, True. things were a little bit better at this time. Yeah, so. we had such high, such high hopes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. now our setting, um, in this case, obviously, it's a charming small town. We open, though, we have to start to establish business. Uh, and the way we do that in these movies is just your opening credits have stock footage of New York City. Yes. Right? There's some traffic shots as if to just say, oh, New York is so bad because there are taxi cabs. And then very quickly, we're in Fillmore. So tell me, would you want to live in Fillmore? Well, if I can't get medicine and I have to travel two hours to fulfill my prescription, 
maybe not. You don't have a CVS in Fillmore. Right. The way they establish just how small this town is and how it really does like actually need assistance is there's a town hall meeting. Uh, they have to vote on whether or not they're allowing Tom Arnold to buy the town. And when they start looking at like, oh, it's so great, because remember that time I lost my dog and everybody helped me find my dog? Yeah, that's great. We, we love small towns. Yeah, but it's also so bad. Remember that time that, I don't know, my child ate peanuts and went into anaphylactic shock and needed uh, an allergy medication and we had to drive two hours to get it because we didn't have any medicine? Yes. That's, that's not a good thing. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't think I could live in Fillmore. No, well, it, like, literally, you couldn't live in Fillmore because you would probably die in Fillmore, in Fillmore if anything yeah. at all went wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> Fillmore I mean, did not get the COVID vaccine. I don't, I don't think anybody <laughs> is left standing, actually. I don't think they would have taken it anyway. Well, although, something very odd about this movie, and part of it is, again, I'm just going to keep, like, making ringing a bell for 2008. This movie does something that you do not see... In, in most of for movies, especially made for this broad audience, it acknowledges, and you heard it in the trailer, global warming is real, folks. Yes. I was uh-huh. so surprised when Tom Arnold said yeah. that. There like, is a wow. liberal agenda in this movie, everybody. So watch out. Yeah. It's right there. It's right mm-hmm. out in the open, too. They're not trying to, to groom us into thinking that. No. No. <laughs> now, number three is our bland love interest. Uh... So, again, this is sort of twisting the formula, because to me, like, this guy, Rick is, is should be the bland love interest. He's, he's played the bland love interest in a million movies. In this case, he's our lead, so his main love interest is Nicole Eggert. Uh, mm. Now, Mike, what is your um, experience with Nicole Eggert? I don't think I have any experience with her. <gasps> I not was a Charles not... in Charge fan? I was not a Charles in Charge fan. It was a little bit too late for me okay. while I was uh, watching television. It was kind of like Silver Spoons and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm not really into these types of shows right now. But um, I thought she was delightful. Um, I thought she looked a little bit like Mary McCormick, maybe. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, like a cross looked... between Mary Mc... Maureen McCormick and um, is Elisa Wenchel from Facts of Life. Like if the two of them merge, they would kind of produce her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, and, and I also didn't watch Baywatch, which I think she was also on. Yeah. So yeah, she's a very attractive, very, uh, nice lady in this. I was looking her up just to make sure that she hadn't gone off the deep end over the last few years either. Um, <laughs> she seems pretty normal, which yes. is nice. For, for somebody who had a association with Scott Bayo back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, seems like she, I, I feel like I remember her a lot in the National Enquirer back in the like late 90s for different reasons. And, hmm. you know, she was a young actress who grew up in the industry and probably went through a rough time back when especially it was an even worse landscape than it is. So this ki- kind of comes in an era for her sort of in between a lot of things. It's a lot of her other credits around this time were kind of it was it's that boom of reality competitions for right. like surreal life type celebrities. Uh, she does a few of these Christmas movies, and this was kind of the type of actor you would find in these at the time. It would be these uh, mostly television actresses, actresses who were kind of once the big hot thing, but never quite broke it into the big screen. 
And this seemed like the safe space, both for probably budget reasons, where you didn't have to pay that much to have them in. There's very low stakes to the actresses coming in. Um, A lot of the movies around this time, uh, and the same year Michael Pfeiffer made, um, made one with Jenny Garth. And, like, you can kind of get the sense of, like, oh, yeah, like, these are a lot of women who probably took some time off. They probably had kids. And they kind of slowly came back to very low-stakes acting. So it's – and, I mean, they make her sort of the every woman in this. I think she is very much the person that you are rooting with. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, even though she's referred to as the small-town tart and, uh, what is it, city guy and country girl. Just in case you didn't understand what they represent, right? So we got to be very clear. Yeah, I suppose in this in this one, it is Sarah Thompson is very much the bland partner, the bland boyfriend slash girlfriend. Mm. See, I th- she's going to come back, I think, in in number seven when we get there. All right. Because to me, she's actually probably the most interesting thing in this movie for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, so before we get there, we have to deal with montages because I don't oh, know boy. if you noticed. But this movie does sure love a montage. It does, yeah. Yeah. What were some of the ones that you remember that you clocked? Oh, I'm trying to remember. There was a pretty long one towards the end. Um, I mean, I was mostly just so captivated by David DeLuise throughout this whole thing. (laughs) um, I mean, even, I want to say even when she's finding out the part that can, no, I guess that isn't a montage, but there's quite a few music breaks where they're just going through and showing all of the different people in the town and just stepping through everything. Yeah. We get a a couple of like decorating montages. There's a prolonged bowling montage. Yeah. Bowling is a major thing in this. Well, and it's a strange scene because it's like the two guys bowling and it's supposed to be like a night of bowling, but there's five people and they never quite explain. Are they in teams? Is it just the guys bowling? We only see the guys bowling, but it goes on for a really long time. And I think they just mm-hmm. reuse the same shot of a strike every time. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of hay barn. Um, we get a slow motion dancing uh, at the hay barn montage. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get to them when we talk about the music. Cause there's, there's quite a bit, but we do also have um Probably, I guess, my third favorite type of montage. My first favorite is a makeover or shopping for clothes. Uh, my second favorite is a recapping the entire film we just saw in foggy lighting. But my third favorite is just the everybody is sad faced montage yeah. uh, where we get the like looking through old photos, um, shots of trees, that kind of thing. That at the what I've noticed this year is realizing the way to gauge the actual quality of of a movie of of its of one of these types of movies the good ones don't need to rely on montages cuz they actually have things to say and do whereas the other ones um have to, don't know how to fill the time and <laughs> just have to scramble and look around and say i don't know just okay just keep type type things and we're just going to put it into uh, sad music and it will show that we're all working. And right. so there's like paper shuffling, like it's that kind of thing. And it yeah. accounts for a good, probably 30% of this movie. So I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no dead parents or dead wife. Uh, we got a pair of dead parents and that is Lisa. Yeah. Uh, that's why she doesn't want to leave the town because I guess her parents died there. I didn't catch it because uh, Rick, his mother, it's only has a mother. We never find out about the father, do we? Is I don't think any? so. Nor yeah. 
do I think we find out about Tom Arnold's wife, do we? Well, he, in the beginning, he talks about having at least three wives. Oh, that's right. He gives that whole thing about, right, oh, about, yeah, that oh, was my second yeah. wife. Oh, wait, no, that was the third. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're led to believe that he, uh, maybe some of them are dead. Maybe it's like a Bluebeard thing where like all of them are dead. <laughs> he doesn't say divorce. I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. Tom Arnold has at least three dead wives in this movie. Makes sense. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Number six is our sassy sidekick. Uh, often a friend, oh, a sister, coworker. Please, let's go into it. We get them. We get a pair of them. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think David DeLuise counts at oh, all. Do how you? can he not count? He does. He counts. Okay. Yeah, oh, I, I would. Sure. I would count him. For me, I was. You know, you were talking about dog movies earlier, and David DeLuise is as close to a dog as we get in this movie. I think. Yeah, he's, he's got serious like golden retriever, yellow lab energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very eager. Yeah. Because I kept trying to think, like, is there a scene where a dog doesn't like Reagan and just starts, you know, barking, barking at her or something? And I was like, no, I guess as close as you get is Andy. (laughs) Or Cooter. She calls him Cooter. And from that point on, I'm like, his name is Cooter. Yeah. (laughs) What? And Rick doesn't seem to get it when she calls him Cooter. (laughs) Well, you know, Rick doesn't seem to get anything. Rick is just not that. Yeah. Rick is, it, it's not just that he's bland, which again, fitting that Patrick Dempsey thing where like there's, to me, Patrick Dempsey is an actor that never seems to have much behind the eyes. Um, the same with Rick where there's, it's hard to tell at any point in this movie if he really is just very easily influenced by people mm. or if he's just stupid. Because he seems to just go with every flow. As soon as there's a flow, he's going with it. And then somebody like takes him and points him in the other direction and he goes that way. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's a very worldly guy, is where I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he doesn't take the time to find out that that auto park could be just ordered through eBay or wherever <laughs> it is, Rock Auto. It's 2008. You know, we didn't have Amazon. Yes, we did. Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. And we know that they do have internet because they they establish there's a lot of no bars, no bars, one bar. But we also see him checking his email in bed. So they do have a good internet connection. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another sassy sidekick. Um, and that is, I don't actually know the character's name, but... Cooter's wife, who is pregnant. Is that uh, Cassidy, I think it is? Cassidy, yes. So played by Shannon Sturges, who I know well because she was on Days of Our Lives during the, um, was it Molly? Her character was Molly. She was with Frankie, I think. Big, big era of Days of Our Lives for me. So mm-hmm. that's how I remember her fondly. Um, and she, you know, her thing is, I guess she's pregnant. So she's constantly almost eating. <laughs> you think she's pregnant? <laughs> I don't know. Did you get that sense? I I think I might have noticed a baby bump. Just a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, like, and nine months pregnant and still bowling. So yeah, that, that's yeah. that's my definition of sassy. Oh, very sassy then. All right. So number seven is probably my favorite for this movie. And that is the villain character, which is either one of two things. And in this case, we really get both. It's often the evil woman or a male boss who's obsessed with money. Yeah. So uh, let's wow, go. Let, yeah. Wow. I know. Well, it's funny too because Tom Arnold, I think he should be the bad guy in this movie, but he doesn't really seem that bad. Like he's kind of doing his job. Like yeah. And that's one of those things that these movies often um, just don't reconcile with. It's like no, no, but like 
this if if this is your job in the business, you have to do that job. And right. to, like Rick should be fired. Like Rick doesn't do his job. Like he oh, had yeah. a mission, he's, he doesn't do it. He's insubordinate. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tom Arnold's like, look, I'm gonna bring resources to your town. Okay, sure. So he might have fooled them to get them all to sign off on it. Although I don't know that he did that or whether it seems like more like Reagan did. Uh, so yeah, I mean he's. The uh, kind of, I guess, symbol of capitalism, which in this mm-hmm. movie is bad. Um, but it's really his daughter is very much the, you know, the the, the evil of the movie. Uh, Sarah Thompson, who uh, I recognize from Angel season five. She is um, sort of like the evil head assistant at uh, Wolfram and Hart. What were your thoughts on that character? Well, yeah, she... <laughs> It was difficult to pin her down because I think she could have been nastier. Agreed. Um, And yeah, I understand this whole like, you know, coming to this small town. But again, I think she really could have been nastier about things and just really been like, who are these people? They're all backwards and Mm -hmm. just like those kind of things like, oh, uh, you know, not like I can't get a latte, but just like maybe I don't know. I don't know. I can't get uh, wheat bread or something like that. But she <laughs> she just plays that whole like I'm from the city. I'm so superior. She a, plays it okay, but she could yeah. really take it up a level. It's a good point because she's doing all the typical like ew, gross country life. Hey, things that you have that character do right. But she also seems, and maybe it's just that she immediately senses that Lisa is competition um, because she, I won't say she makes an effort, but she like wants to spend time with her. She wants Mm -hmm. to go find the tree with her because she wants some time alone to sort of, I guess maybe like sniff out her competition and see where she stands. Right. So yeah. Yeah. As much as I, I like just kind of how awful she is. I agree. It could have had bigger bite if she was even more awful. Right, right. Yeah. She could have been more, even Jaja Gabor in Green Acre yeah. was more anti-pastoral, um, uh, you know, and Good she point. could have been more like that and like, oh, what does that smell? Oh, well, that's the pig mm-hmm. farm or something like that. But yeah, she's wearing yeah. heels, but there's no jokes where she steps her in manure and that kind of thing that you, right. you know, that's it's the easy thing to do in these kinds of movies. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. right. They, they do. They miss out. All right, number eight is our slapstick, which, I mean, surprisingly, these movies tend to have. Uh, Did you enjoy the physical humor of A Christmas Proposal? I'm trying to remember what physical humor there was. Well, let's see. There are some mild hockey falls. We have guys playing hockey, so of course they're going to fall. We have Reagan trying to chop down a tree, and of course she falls. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. For some reason, Cooter can't seem to walk upstairs. (laughs) Like, he's trying to, like, sneak upstairs to um, erase Rick's, uh, like, work meeting schedule, which is actually a very terrible thing to do to your friend. Don't ever do that. But he just, like, it's like a a 30-second scene of him walking upstairs and just falling four times. I'm clumsy. Like, I do fall upstairs. But once I do it once, I'm just cautious and then don't do it three more times. So it's one of those sort of, like, these people aren't really clumsy, and I I can tell that. Yeah. Yeah, I... It didn't even make an impression on me because it was just so like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's see. Number nine is our sage old person. So usually an older character who is there to impart wisdom on our our lead who needs a lesson. 
Uh, I guess, I think we do have one here. I don't think, I, I would say she, you know, she was one of the reasons I wanted to watch this movie, but I do feel like she's a little bit underused. Oh, uh, yeah. Patty McCormick. Patty McCormack. Rhoda Penmark yeah. herself, uh, one of my favorite screen villains of all time from The Bad Seed. And she's there. And like, again, like, come on, give me a Bad Seed joke somewhere in here. Right. Like, she could have said yeah. it better, son. You know, Rick, you were always a Bad Seed. I got done. I, I would have given this 10 stars immediately on Amazon. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. She does at one point say like, well, things happen for a reason. And I guess that's, you know, that that's some sage wisdom right there for this movie. We don't get a lot of it. Uh, and number 10 is Santa Claus, which usually he's there to be real and to actually, you know, impart some Christmas magic. Uh, in this case, he's to my mind, there's no real Santa Claus in this movie. But the, the last scene or two of the movie, we do get a Santa Claus, do we not? Yeah, yeah, that felt a little squeezed in. Like mm-hmm. I said, this this movie doesn't really feel like a Christmas movie in a lot of ways. More than anything, it's that Christmas and New Year's are business deadlines. Yes, yes, very much. Um, and I almost had the impression that they were filming this, and then thankfully there was another similarly Christmas-themed movie filming, like, on the next lot. And somebody said, hey... I'll give I'll give you 50 bucks if we can borrow the Santa suit for like one scene. And they mm-hmm. got somebody to come in and just because there's just a Santa Claus in the it's like only the last scene or two. And the best is when Cooter runs over to him and starts like talking to him as if he's real. Yes. Right? He's like asking for like, uh, you know, a, a motorcycle and a puppy and all these things. And the movie just like leaves with it, making you wonder, is he really a man child? Like, is, is this guy like, was he playing this way or is, is this guy actually not of, of full adult mind? Fully there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So now we move on to the bonuses where some of the, the little things that always tend to come up. Uh, the first thing is the absurd uh, use of too much public domain holiday songs. Mm-hmm. So the public domain holiday songs we usually get, Deck the Halls, Jingle Bells, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, Noel. Um, this movie does something interesting where they had, I won't say a soundtrack, but somebody involved in the movie had some ownership over a music collection that had a lot of not popular um but not just carols, like actual Christmas music that you've never heard yeah. in your life for a reason because it wasn't that good. But still, like there was Christmas songs about, um, what was it, like Are You Coming Home for Christmas, Santa Santa Ain't Christmas Without Santa, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are, are you going to go out and buy the soundtrack to play Christmas Morning as your open presents? Probably not, oh. no. No. Even the polka cover of Jingle Bells? <laughs> That I didn't mind, actually. So the whole getting together for the big hay dance, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this works. So you liked both the polka and then when they have everybody come on stage to sing and they just sing the polka again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so nice. Let's use it twice. (laughs) Well, it's great, too, because it's like done as this way of like, oh, hey, he came back on stage for one night only. And he sings Jingle Bells. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote in my notes in caps, and then they play it again. Why God? Why? So that was the mindset I was at at that point. Because there's a lot of like awkward extra slow dancing. Uh, yeah, I might have to rewatch that one scene over and over again on loop just to hurt myself. Uh, let's see. So then, uh, no real secret family recipe. Um, no. Yeah, but but small business in danger. 
in this case, the business is the, the small business is the small town. Right. Right. And they are in danger of being taken over by um, somebody that would probably improve their quality of life quite a bit. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny because I just watched um, Local Hero uh recently and this movie shares a lot of things with local hero this whole well we're coming to your town and buying out everything and you're going to have a better life and yada 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 and you know there's even the big uh what they call kaylee in that one and this one they've got the the hay dance mm-hmm. and i was like oh okay yeah. you know if this if this was released in you know 1980 then i'd be like oh for sure bill forsyth ripped this off but no yeah well as uh, my writing professor used to say there are only 20 stories in the world and Homer told all of them. So, you know, everything is just repeating. Yeah. There's only so many things, only so many stories we can tell. Uh, no product placement. Um, no, this movie could have benefited too. from a sponsor because it would have upped the budget a little bit, but nothing. Uh, and no children at all in this movie. No. Yeah. That was... A little strange. But is town. it? Considering if they don't have medicine, what do you right. think the survival rate of pregnancy is in this town? Oh, so you you're know? thinking that the that this poor pregnant lady is about to lose her child. Uh, I mean, she, if something goes wrong, yeah. what do they have? What do they have? Hay, right? That's all they yeah. have. They, they don't seem to have, you know, if they didn't have like cold medicine, do they have epidurals? I can't imagine that. Yeah, boy, that that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Didn't mean to bring the room down, but just the reality of these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we had any holiday-themed names, which is also disappointing, because it's easy enough to just name somebody Frost or Winters, but fine. Right. Uh, we did, however, have a Finding the Perfect Tree moment. Um, ha- yeah. now, my, do you put up a Christmas tree? Uh, we don't. We okay. Don't. Okay. Um, if, if you did, how, what would your method be? Would your method be go to the local lot and pick one out, go to Kohl's and find a fake one? Or would it be like drive around until you see a tree you like and chop it down in the middle of the road? <laughs> uh, I, well, we do have a fake Christmas tree mm-hmm. and we probably bought it maybe at Target Maybe through Amazon, I'm not sure. So, you know, if we were to put one up, we would probably put up that. Um, this whole just divining a tree by riding around probably isn't the method that I would use. I think it's also illegal, right? Like, you can't just yeah. chop down a tree. And in terms of, like, carbon footprint, I know, like, you know, plastic made in China is very bad. But I think chopping down trees is equally bad if you're not going mm-hmm. to replant anything. So I, I would not recommend taking the method learned from this movie to, to do your tree. It just seems irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there would have been like a wild animal in the tree when they got oh, it home. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been some good slapstick humor right, right there. Right. Or an endangered species that also could have saved the town perhaps, but yeah. oh well. Yeah. Uh, now, number eight is the ridiculously elaborate holiday cocktail, which we don't get, but we get the reverse of that, which is um, a character complaining, doing like the other favorite thing of like, Usually it's, I want a, you know, non-fat latte and all they serve is hot chocolate. In this case, it was like, what did she ask for? I wrote down Belvedere Martini. Is that a thing? Have you ever heard of that? I have never heard of that. I meant to look it up, but I didn't. Belvedere Martini. Oh, I guess it's a brand of of vodka. Oh. 
Oh, so there's your blog oh. product placement. <laughs> so as if she had asked for like Grey Goose or something. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. But instead she gets a beer and looks as if she has just been asked to eat poop. So. Yes, yeah. Uh, one of uh, a, a fan favorite, the next one, empty coffee cup acting. Uh, actors who have to hold cups of supposed to be hot liquid and drink or pretend to drink and pretend it's hot and pretend it's filled. Um, there, there's a few moments in this. Did you clock mm-hmm. any of them? Yeah, I seem to remember looking at that going, oh, I remember that was on Emily's list. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, there's a great moment in the beginning where Nicole Eggert's carrying two cups. And the crazy thing is, you could see liquid in, in one of them. Like, one of them actually was filled with liquid. It was not... Um, I think it was, oh no, it was a styrofoam cup, but you could see like the outline of it. But the weird thing is she's walking with these, like as if she just got them from the store down the street and they have no lids on them, which just yeah. seems like, who does that? Who? And they're styrofoam. So it's not like they were trying to be environmental. Right. Yeah. And then later at one point, um, Rick is handed like a hot cup of cocoa and just takes it off the train and immediately starts drinking it, which I don't know. Usually you blow on it. Usually you wait to see. Uh, You take a test sip. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actors trying very hard to not eat on camera, but pretend to eat on camera. Uh, There's a a couple of like actual, like where where characters do eat, which is impressive. Mm -hmm. My favorite though, is when um, we cut to Rick sitting down in Lisa's office and he has like a, a fully eaten apple, like where it's only the core. And he's sitting there talking to her and, like, moving it around back and forth and, like, talking as if he has food in his mouth, but doing everything he can to not actually take a bite of the apple. Right, right. So. <laughs> but it's like, you can tell somebody on set was like, don't give him a clean apple. Like, here, like, the craft services, like, somebody actually, that was probably somebody's lunch. And they're like, no, no, no use this, because then nobody will notice that you're not actually eating the apple. They'll believe it. Right. So. Uh, no Canadianisms, because this was, I think, filmed in California, from, from yeah. all accounts I can tell. Felt very California mm-hmm. to me. Yep. Uh, but then finally, the warm weather watch. Uh, I don't know. I have not been to a ski town in winter. It's not something I do. And I understand the whole global warming aspect of this movie and that there's no snow here. But still, usually, if if one person is wearing a winter coat and a scarf, is it common for the town mechanic to just be in a t-shirt? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, he could be working up a sweat, but... um, And in fairness, um, he probably does sweat a lot. I I get that sense of of that man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's quite a few, like, one person in a t-shirt, one person in a t-shirt with a scarf, and all of those little moments of, they're going to get great Christmas tans this year. (laughs) Yeah, it was very, I I could really tell, like, oh, it was probably about 50, 60 degrees on set here. Yeah, Yeah, my my favorite is when you can tell, like, actors actually sweating underneath the, like, very light but long-sleeved, like, wool coats they have to wear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the things they do for art, you know? They're the real heroes. (laughs) There's a lot of sacrifice here. True. So, on that note, you survived a Christmas proposal. I Uh, did. I feel like the proper way to do this would have been for us to also watch 2021's Christmas Proposal and A Christmas Proposal to really I compare. Done it. I mean, we don't know. Was this the best Christmas Proposal you have ever seen? Uh, of all the Christmas Proposals that are out there, this has got to be the best one that mm-hmm. I've seen. Yes, yes. Um, starring the... I, one thing I, I liked when I found the trailer on YouTube, the YouTube trailer has one comment, 
and it is from someone who says Tom Arnold from Soul Paint Soul Plane question mark and I and I like the idea that Tom Arnold's legacy is a Christmas proposal and Soul Soul Plane. Yeah, as I the know. way it should be. Yeah. Indeed. So uh, would you recommend this movie to anyone that you know or, or don't know or like or don't like? I mean, I would have recommended it to you. <laughs> uh, but I don't think I would have sought this one out on mm-hmm. my own. Yeah. I didn't want to scoop my eyes out with a spoon while I was watching yeah, it. That's something. Yeah, it was pretty Good innocuous and I was really okay with it. Yeah. Did I like it? Not really, mm-hmm. but in sometimes Tom Tom Arnold can be insufferable. But uh, I actually enjoyed him in this movie. He, he this is an era. He does the same thing in um, uh, a Christmas Wedding Tale, which is the Jenny Garth Michael Pfeiffer movie, mm. where he's also used like this, where he's never really in a scene with anybody. He's just somewhere in a room on a phone. And yeah, all those shots of him at the you know on the phone at the golf course, <laughs> yep. and I was just like, "Is this a real golf course?" This was, was all he just filmed here? In three hours, wasn't it? Yeah, it so was. Yeah, so but he was. does in a weird way like lend a certain. It's odd to say this. He lends a certain amount of star quality to this movie. Yeah, like and what the charming thing about this one to me because I don't think this is one that is really worth anybody seeking out. Um, I. I enjoyed just how kind of messy it felt and how cheap it felt, but where you could see the formula has been there all this time. It just is rougher around the edges. And sometimes when you watch the newer Hallmark ones, especially the new Hallmark and Lifetime ones that are still made for pennies, but have such a infrastructure around the way they're made that they feel so cookie cutter. And this one feels messy and clumsy in a way that's almost endearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To somebody out there. So. Yeah. 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 If you. When I'm trying to think the cover art that I saw didn't even have the two people in a red and green sweater either. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had to learn things. Now, this movie has a lot of red and green font, uh, the opening titles. Oh, mm-hmm. and then one thing that made me excited. So we didn't have um, a Christmas themed character name, but uh, in the opening credits, they had the costume designers, the um, the people who did the costumes of this movie, their names. You ready? This excited me because I took a picture of it. Alicia Joy Ridings and Faith Rosender. Yes. So see, so there was, it was there somewhere. And of course the opening credits are in red and green and white. So, you know. It was a little tough to see those credits because I watch everything with closed captions on and this film wasn't smart enough for the captions to flip up to the top of the Mm -hmm. screen when there were credits that were playing. So yeah, I'm not sure if it's the film or Tubi. Um, Right. You know, you you get what you pay for. That's what it comes down to. So yeah. Right, and the well, commercials weren't just the same things over and over again either, which was good. Yes, and so. something also I really like about Tubi, which is not true at all about the Roku channel and a few of the other free streaming sites, is that the commercials are no louder than the movie. Yeah. If you've ever watched something on the Roku channel, and we just we did that a few weeks ago, we watched the Weird Al movie, and I had to keep the remote at, near me at all times, because as soon as the commercial comes up, it is about 10 decibels louder and you feel immediately mute. So Tubi is, I, I don't know all the backgrounds of Tubi. I, I, you know, it, it might be owned by an evil Tom Arnold type for all I know. Uh, but in terms of watching a movie that you don't want to pay for, Tubi is the way to go. Oh, yeah. The whole countdown to the commercial, how many commercials yep. there are, mm-hmm. 
that works well. Yeah, we watch um, is that twenty one words or less on there quite a bit. So okay. recommended. Uh, recommend to be maybe not a Christmas proposal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, if the people want to find you talking about movies that aren't a Christmas proposal, where can they do that? Well, the, I think from now on, I'm just going to have to dedicate every episode really of the projection should. booth yeah. to this one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm in. So yeah, so you can hear me talking about a Christmas Christmas proposal at projectionboothpodcast.com. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, and. Be careful driving uh, into, you know, when you go back home to visit those small towns that you left and built a better life for yourself. Just make sure you have all your car parts. Christmas 